Get your fill of baseball news and beer reviews at foulballarea.com. Follow our blog for the latest news around the baseball world and read about some of our favorite ballpark beers. Tune into the podcast every Wednesday as we take a deep dive into the topics of the day. Stay connected by signing up for our mailing list or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Foulball Area. Now, here's today's episode of the Foulball Area Podcast with Matthew Atkins and Trey Lyle. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Foulball Area Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Atkins, going solo on today's edition of the podcast, but my co-host Trey Lyle will be rejoining me on Friday. That's right. We are finally, finally putting out two episodes in a week after we've been teasing it for the past couple of weeks. This week, we will finally get around to releasing two episodes as we continue to get further into the 2021 Major League Baseball season. A lot of news is happening every week. Games are being played every night. Injury news coming every day. So a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff to stay on top of. So starting this Friday, we'll be putting out two episodes a week. And Trey Lyle will be joining me for Friday's episode. But I'm going solo today, and I think we've got a pretty good show for you today. Coming up a little bit later in today's episode, I will be joined by Evan Hughes, a Virginia Tech graduate and broadcaster on ACC Network, to talk about Virginia Tech softball and a little bit of baseball. But the softball team is currently in the postseason. They will be playing at the Los Angeles Super Regional against UCLA starting on Thursday. So Evan Hughes is joining me later on today's show to talk about Virginia Tech softball and break down what they have to do to advance to the Women's College World Series. But we're going to start off with a little bit of Major League Baseball news. Like I said, so much injury news coming out every single day. So many players around Major League Baseball are getting injured. And we talked about this on last week's episode of the podcast. If you didn't hear it, or if you just haven't been paying attention, I'm just going to give you a little list of some of the players that are currently injured, some of the injury news that we've gotten just over the past couple of days. Bryce Harper has been placed on the injured list with a forearm injury. He will be back on June 2nd. That's the earliest that he will be back. Kenta Maeda, the pitcher for the Twins, he's out until June 7th with a groin injury. Brian Anderson of the Miami Marlins is out until June 3rd with a shoulder injury. Harrison Bader out until June 5th with an injury to his ribs. Byron Buxton, who won American League Player of the Month for the Minnesota Twins in the month of April. He's still out. He won't be back until June 3rd with a hip injury. Trent Grisham of the Padres, he's got a heel injury that's bothering him. He won't be back until June 1st. Framil Reyes, who has been really hot for the Indians so far this season, he's dealing with an oblique problem and he'll be back July 16th. And the Mets, pretty much just their entire team is on the injured list and has been missing time over the past couple of weeks. So a lot of players around Major League Baseball, a lot of teams, pretty much every team is dealing with some sort of injury. And a lot of star players, like we talked about on last week's episode of the podcast, Mike Trout, the best player in Major League Baseball, he is out for six to eight weeks with an injury. I mean, that's never good. It's never good when you have any player get injured. We, we don't like to see injuries at all to any player. It doesn't matter who it is. But when you have the face of the game, the face of Major League Baseball, the best player in the league, get injured for six to eight weeks, that's really not good, especially for a team like the Angels, where he pretty much carries that entire team along with Shohei Otani, who is playing at an MVP level this season. Mike Trout pretty much carries the Los Angeles Angels. So when they lose him for six to eight weeks 
and they're already in last place, it's it's hard to imagine what they're going to do over those weeks without Mike Trout in the lineup. But it's never good to see any kind of injuries around Major League Baseball, especially when it's a guy of Mike Trout's caliber. But that just shows you how many injuries we have seen so far this season. And I said on last week's episode that I think it's due to players getting ramped up for a 162-game season after playing only 60 games last season. I mean, they're not ready for this massive increase in games. They only played a third of a full season last year. So they're tripling the amount of games that they're playing this season. They're playing a a full 162 games. So that's tripling what they played last year. I mean, they gave them spring training. They they got a full spring training to prepare. They had off-season. They they had a normal off-season so they could do their their normal off-season routines and training and practicing and all of that, all that kind of stuff, their normal off-season schedule. But they're playing triple the amount of games that they played last season. That's going to take its toll on players as the season goes on. That's going to put a lot of strain on their bodies. This isn't unexpected. But it is really, really sad when you have this many injuries and this many teams that are dealing with with this amount of injuries. I mean, especially for the Mets. You could just list off any player on the Mets team, and they've probably been on the injured list or at least missed a couple games at some point this season. Somehow they're still playing all right. It hasn't affected them too badly, but, I mean, they've, they have so many guys on the sidelines. And I, th- I really do think that it is a product of getting back into a full season. Right now, we're at around 45, 50 games. So that's pretty much what they played all of last season. And they still have two-thirds of the season to go. So seeing this many injuries happen this early, you just got to wonder what's going to happen over the next two-thirds of the season. You know, how many pitchers are going to deal with arm and shoulder and elbow injuries over the next two-thirds of the season because they're not ready to pitch this many innings? How many position players are going to deal with more injuries because they're not ready to go 162 games? That's really going to be the story to watch, and that's really why depth is the most important thing this season. Yes, you got to have talented players, but those players are going to get injured, and you got to have someone to step up behind them. Depth is the most important thing in this season in Major League Baseball. One of the injuries that was pretty notable yesterday. Zach Plesak, a starting pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, he was placed on the injured list due to a fractured thumb, and manager Terry Francona said that he was, quote, rather aggressively ripping off his shirt, end quote, and it got caught on a chair in his locker. Now, I'm not sure if he was referring to his shirt or his thumb that got caught on the chair. But whatever it is, this is one of the dumbest injuries that I have heard of recently. Why Why is Zach Plesak aggressively ripping off his shirt? I mean, what is going on in the Indians locker room that he needs to aggressively rip off his shirt to the point where he's going to injure and fracture his thumb? And now he's going to be out until June 8th. And he's having a decent season for the Indians this year. He's gone 4-3 so far on the mound. He has a 4-14 ERA. 38 strikeouts in 52, 38 strikeouts in 58 and two-thirds innings pitched. I mean, a decent season. He's a valuable pitcher for the Indians. They need him in their rotation. 
but because he was aggressively ripping off his shirt, I, I'm still I'm not even sure what that means or what exactly is going on in that locker room that he needs to aggressively rip his shirt off. I think we need more answers in this situation, but this is just one of the dumbest injuries that I have heard of recently. It reminds me of last season when Zach Wheeler, the pitcher for the Phillies, injured his finger when he was zipping up his pants. He injured a nail, a fingernail, on his right hand when he was putting his pants on, and it caused him to be out for about a week. I mean, are, are these players, like, do we just need to babysit these players when they're not on the field to make sure they don't injure themselves just going about daily life? They can't even take their shirts off or put their pants on without injuring themselves. It's also interesting that it's only happened to players named Zach, Zach Plesak and Zach Wheeler, both having strange injuries in clothing-related incidents. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but maybe the Indians need to monitor that locker room, make sure no one's aggressively ripping off their shirts. All right, like I said, Evan Hughes joining us on the podcast today to talk about some Virginia Tech softball. They are playing UCLA in the Los Angeles Super Regional. They need to win two games against the Bruins to advance to the Women's College World Series. Virginia Tech has had a couple of very good seasons recently, but this is the first time they have had postseason success winning their regional and advancing to the Super Regionals since 2008. And here to talk about this Virginia Tech Hokies softball team is Evan Hughes. Evan, thanks for going coming on the podcast today, giving us a little bit of time. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. Love the work that you and uh, you and Trey do, and hoping that better times are ahead for your uh, your Braves here moving forward. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Austin Riley just won Player of the Week. He's starting to heat up, so things are looking a little better for the Braves coming up here soon. Uh, big news in Blacksburg recently, of course, Virginia Tech softball and baseball both entering the postseason, but also. Graduation was pretty recent, and you just graduated as part of the class of 2021, so congratulations on that. I, I know it's, it's a crazy feeling leaving Virginia Tech, and you spend four years there, and then you're just, you're just done. It feels like it goes by so quick, but congratulations on graduating. Ah, thank you so much. I mean, you're right. I mean, people say that uh, it flies by quickly, and it really does. I feel like I was just a freshman yesterday. We were in school together, and, and now we're both on the other side as alums, so pretty crazy to think about. So Virginia Tech softball, they are now entering their Super Regionals. They're matched up against UCLA this upcoming week. They just won their regional in Tempe, Arizona, hosted by Arizona State. This team has been so good for the past couple of seasons. They've had a lot of success in the regular season, but it hasn't really translated into postseason success the past couple of years until now. Did, did people in Blacksburg think that this was the year they would have postseason success? I think that there was high expectations for this team coming into this year, just considering that they returned so many players from a team that lost in a regional final in 2019 and year one under Pete DeMore. And they got off to such a promising start in 2020 before their season was cut short. So I think when you bring a pitcher like Keely Rochard back, who led the nation in strikeouts, like she did in the abbreviated 2020 season, there were high expectations and, you know, I think there was expectations to win an ACC championship. They fell just short of that, losing to a really good Clemson team. But uh, this Virginia Tech softball team is peaking at the right time right now. The bats cooled off during the latter half of the regular season. They're starting to heat up again. Rochard's continuing to dominate in the circle. And uh, as you know, regardless of whatever level, baseball, softball, high school ball, major league baseball, professional softball, if you hit the ball well, you pitch well, good things are going to happen to you. And that's a huge reason why the Hokies went 3-0 and in the Tempe Regional this past weekend. 
I feel like even the the casual Virginia Tech sports fan who might not even follow softball at all knows who Keely Richard is and knows that she is she is their girl on the mound for the softball team. But at the plate, who's really the key player or players for Virginia Tech when it comes to hitting? Well, it all starts with their leadoff hitter, uh, Kelsey Brown, who is a traditional slap hitter, um, who, in my opinion, is the fastest athlete that I have covered in four years of any sport. She is exactly what you want in the leadoff spot. She transferred in from James Madison after her first year, where she was kind of a role player for the Duke. She went from being a role player at JMU, a well-respected softball program, to becoming a star at Virginia Tech. And she's one of those players, Matt, that her job is to put the ball on the ground to the left side of the infield. And if it takes more than a hop to the third baseman, even if she's playing in, she's going to be safe every single time. She slid into first base head first uh, this past weekend against Tempe. I mean, she's so quick. And Coach Pete DeMore is very aggressive on the base pass. So the minute that he can get uh, her aboard and then the two-hitter, Cameron Fagan, who was a really big-time recruit that they got, the Fagans are almost like the Currys of the sport of softball. Her older sisters were terrific in the SEC. She's been able to come in right away and be a key contributor as a freshman. She's another slap hitter. So you've got the two of them at the one-two spot. And then the power bats of Kelsey Bennett and Jamie Bailey, um, Kana Davis. Uh, Alexa Milius has been a terrific addition to the transfer from Central Connecticut State who had the walk-off home run. Uh, this past weekend for the Mercy Rule win against BYU in the regional final. So, Matt, there's a really good balance of slap hitters with speed and then power hitters in the middle of the lineup. And then you've got a really good nine hitter in Darby Troll, who's like that second leadoff hitter who can flip the lineup back to the top. So there's a good mix of power on this Tech team, but they also can play small ball and steal bags when they need to. They're a very aggressive team. And and they don't get thrown out on the base pass that often. Uh, They they pick their moments very well. I recognize a a lot of those names from when I was still in school, when I was going to softball games. And it seems like a lot of those players have been there a long time, especially Keely Richard. I mean, she's got to be a senior by this point, right? Well, she got her year of eligibility back. So she's technically a junior right now. And it's been incredible to watch Keely Richard develop into one of the best pitchers in the country. In 2018, the Hokies had a rotation of Carrie Everly, who's now at Oklahoma State and was the Big 12 Pitcher of the Year. She was the ACC Pitcher of the Year in 2019. They had Jordan Dale, who's now at Oregon. And then they had Keely Rochard, who was the number three pitcher on that staff as a freshman. She did not see a ton of significant innings in the circle. And then Pete DeMore gets here. He brings in Doug Gillis, his pitching coach, his right-hand man, who has coached four players who have won Pitcher of the Year in four of the five Power Five conferences. Wow. So he's coached a pitcher of the year in the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC, which is an incredible stat. But they saw Keely Rochard. She's always been known for her rise ball, and Gillis has really developed that drop ball pitch. Her changeup has been incredibly effective, and she can now throw three to four pitches for strikes. And she's not a ground ball pitcher either, man. That's what makes her so much fun. She is a strikeout pitcher. And, you know, sometimes you got to remind the defense to stay a little bit alert because she's striking out so many um, batters. She led the nation in strikeouts last year. She's leading the nation in strikeouts this year. Um, she does it all in the circle for Virginia Tech. And I think the, the most unique thing about Rochard 
is that a lot of times people who follow baseball and try and make parallels from the game of baseball to softball will look and say, well, she's, she's throwing almost every inning. You know, is that a concern? In softball, all it takes is to have one really special pitcher. And for instance, against, against BYU on Thursday, the regional opener against BYU, she threw over 130 pitches. And, you know, the, the, I think the fans that don't follow the sport closer, like she's got to be tired. Pete DeMore has said it, and I completely agree with him, that she gets better as the weekend goes on. When she's throwing 200 to 250 pitches, she gets better at the end of series, at the end of weekends, than she even is at the beginning. Matter of fact, her worst starts, keep this in mind, her worst start, I guess you could say, or the start where she didn't have everything working, as they were saying, was against BYU on Thursday. She gave up one run. So, I mean, when your best pitcher is not having her best stuff and she gives up one run, I mean, that's just how good she's been. And so it's been really special to watch her develop into one of the best pitchers in the country. And I think she was very deserving of the ACC Pitcher of the Year honor. Uh, I'm really glad you mentioned that about, you know, in softball only needing one really good pitcher because I was looking at the stats and it's just insane. I mean, you would never ever see anything like this in baseball she started 35 games this year and she's pitched 226 innings in in a college softball season you would never see that in base in college baseball I mean in major league baseball the the best pitchers go 200 innings so that's just insane to see someone you know for for someone who doesn't follow softball closely to see a pitcher with that many innings it's crazy well and again it gets into the difference between baseball and softball right the overhand motion of pitchers that's something that is not a natural throwing motion for somebody. So softball, when you're going underhand, that does not have the wear and tear on your arm. And that's why, but it's common that you look across college softball. I mean, UCLA, the upcoming opponent for Virginia Tech, Rachel Garcia, in my opinion, is arguably the best pitcher in the country. And she throws almost every inning for UCLA. So it's very common to have just one star. And you look back to the, the height of Virginia Tech softball back in 2008, when they made the women's college world series, I mean, Angela Tincher, who is third all-time in NCAA softball history in strikeouts, who put together one of the best careers any player's ever had in the game, um, over 2,000 strikeouts. I mean, she threw every pitch of four years for Virginia Tech softball. So it, it is, it's, it's been neat to see now Keely Rochard have success of th- kind of playing that Tincher role of where she is the ace. She's in the circle. She's got the ball. The biggest difference, though, from, from Tech now, Matt, in 2021, and this because this is the first time that they've made a Super Regional since they made the Women's College World Series in 08, Angela Tincher was everything on that Tech team. I mean, she had to go out there. She could not give up more than two runs because they had to win these low-scoring games. Virginia Tech offensively right now is really good. I mean, they hit 420 as a team in three games this past weekend. So they have the offense to go along with the great pitching. That was not always necessarily the case in the late 2000s with the great Angela Tenger. So they've got UCLA coming up this weekend in the uh, Super Regional out in Los Angeles. What, what is a, this matchup looking like against UCLA? I know they're the number two seed in the tournament, so a pretty tough opponent. Yeah, they're the defending national champions, and, and UCLA is such a storied program. Um, the, the story of this Super Regional is going to be the pitching. I mean, you've got, in my opinion, this is arguably the best Super Regional with two superstar pitchers of Keely Rochard and Rachel Garcia, who actually took an Olympic redshirt year last year to play for Team USA before COVID shut down. She won the national title in 2019, took the Olympic redshirt. 
She's 14 and 0. She's got a sub one ERA on the year. And the Pac 12 is one of the best conferences in college softball, top to bottom. So this is going to be a tall order. However, UCLA and their regional, uh, Fresno State, the three seed of that regional, took them to extra innings in the semifinals. And they only got by Minnesota 2 1 in the regional final. Now, you know, survive in advance in the SCAA tournament. You know, however, you can get wins, how you can get wins. But I was not impressed with UCLA's offense from this past weekend. And if Virginia Tech can hit 420 against quality competition like they did this weekend, it doesn't matter if they're playing Oklahoma, UCLA, whoever it is. If you're hitting over 400 as a team, you're going to be put in positions to potentially win. So the first game Thursday at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30, it's in Los Angeles. Um, from what I'm hearing, it is very limited crowds because of the California restrictions. Um, but this is going to be a very fun series. I think it all boils down to – because you know Keely Rochard is going to have success. Every, I mean, you just have no doubts about her when she's in the circle. But it's going to come down to Tech's offense. If they can stay hot – that's going to be the key. I think if they can score four to five runs a game, Matt, I think they're going to be in position to win. Best of three series, so that opening game, very important um, for both teams trying to get out to a 1-0 lead. Nobody wants to have to come from behind and win two in a row. Yeah, it should be a very exciting series. Like you said, begins on Thursday out in Los Angeles at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. First game will be on ESPN, and the next two games will be on ESPN2, all of them starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, let's shift over to baseball a little bit. You've been around the baseball team as well this season. They started off really good. They were looking like they were maybe even going to host a regional at one point. Now it's not even so sure they're going to make the tournament. They've, I think you said they've lost 12 of their last 13 ACC games uh, to end the season. And now they're beginning the ACC tournament this week playing against UVA and Notre Dame. Notre Dame is the number one seed in the ACC tournament. So a tough matchup for the Hokies baseball team. What happened here at the end of the season? Yeah, I, I mean, about a month ago, Virginia Tech was leading the ACC Coastal. It looked like, I mean, they were going to lock up one of the top two seeds at this ACC tournament. And, and right around April 1, Matt, I mean, Hokies baseball has not made a regional since 2013. They haven't made an ACC tournament since 2013. And everything was trending upwards and looking like it was going to get there. And then they just got into a little bit of a funk. Um, you know, they, they dropped a series to Georgia Tech. That was important. They went on the road to North Carolina State, who at the time was struggling. Now they're the hottest team, arguably, in the country, and they're going to make a tournament. They swept by um, the Wolf Pack. They dropped the series to Virginia at home. The Cavaliers are still going to make the tournament, but they're having a down year compared to many. I think for Virginia Tech, the offense just was not has not been clicking over the last month as much as it was in March in early, uh, late February, I mean, this offense early in the season, you know, TJ Rumfield, Gavin Cross, Jack Hurley, the true freshman, there are so many young players on that tech team who were having terrific starts to their career. And, you know, baseball is a long season and the ACC is really good. And I think once teams start to get scouting reports on certain players, it makes it a little more easy to, to scout um, and prepare, especially for these really quality pitchers. The bottom line is, regardless of what happens this weekend for the ACC tournament, I mean, this has been a really special year for Tech baseball. It's not going to be the finish that they want if they don't make the tournament, but they have put themselves on the map and they have shown, I mean, with the, the sledgehammer and the national attention that, that, that it got this year, 
um, to the young talent that's there. I mean, go around the infield. Kate Hunter, their catcher, who's been out for almost two months now due to an injury, right? Um, he's a freshman. Their first baseman, Rumfield's a redshirt freshman. Bittison's a sophomore at second. Uh, you've got Tanner Schobel, who's been terrific all year, is a true freshman at short. Madden's a sophomore at third. Hurley's a true freshman in center. So they've got a lot of young pieces. It's just about the offense producing. The starting pitching's been terrific. I mean, the weekend rotation of Peyton Alford, who was a JUCO transfer and a bullpen option for the first two years, has now transitioned into a legit Friday night starter. He's been great. Simonelli over the last month has been electric. And Chris Gerard's battled injury over the last month and a half with a groin injury. So that's the other thing here, Matt, is that they've had to deal with injuries, whether it's Gerard, Simonelli. They've had to bring Connolly in from the back end of the bullpen to make him into a spot starter for the weekend. So they lose one of their best arms out of the pen. Um, Nick Bittison missed the first 24 games of the year. Kate Hunter has really not played behind the plate, I don't think, since early March. Um, so they've had to deal with some injuries, as every team has had to. But this week at the ACC tournament, Notre Dame, the regular season champs, they were just swept by Notre Dame this past weekend in Blacksburg. And I think UVA is going to be a fun one, though, because it was a competitive series. I think if the Hokies, as John Sheff told Mark Berman on the Roanoke Times, if they can hit the reset button and have some success at the plate, I, I think Virginia Tech can absolutely beat UVA. It's a new week. It's a new tournament. And Tech has the potential to compete with these teams. I think it all – I mean, kind of like Tech softball here. I, I think it just comes down to their bats. If they can give the pitching some run support, I think the Hokies can win a game, maybe two at the ACC tournament this week. Definitely should be fun to watch playing UVA on Tuesday and then playing Notre Dame in the second game at the ACC tournament. Fun week in Hokie sports coming up. Evan, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us a little bit of your insight about the softball and baseball teams this year. Looking forward to seeing what the softball team can do this weekend against UCLA. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, anytime you want to talk about how the Yankees are struggling this year uh, with Trey <laughs> Lyle, you know, just, uh, feel free to give me a call. We'd love to talk about it. I know Trey's uh, definitely sweating it out right now. Yeah, I'll pass that message along too. Thanks to Evan Hughes for joining us on the podcast today, talking about Virginia Tech softball and baseball. By the way, uh, as I record this on Tuesday evening, Virginia Tech baseball has just lost 3-2 to two against UVA in the first game of the ACC tournament. And the way the ACC tournament works is the first rounds are made up of pool play, and then there are the semifinals and the finals. And the pools are made up of four pools of three teams. And so now that Virginia Tech has lost their first game against UVA, the best they can do in pool play is one and one. And their next game is against number one seed, Notre Dame. So it's not looking likely they're going to win that game. And even if they do go one and one, even if they do beat Notre Dame on Wednesday and they finish pool play at one and one, if all three teams in that pool are tied, the highest seeded team advances. So it looks like Virginia Tech's chances at advancing to the semifinals are pretty much done because the best they could do is one and one, which means that the other two teams in their pool would also go one and one and Notre Dame would end up advancing to the semifinals. So it looks like Virginia Tech's ACC tournament chances are over, and now we'll have to wait and see if they get an at-large bid to the NCAA baseball tournament, which does not look too likely at this point. Uh, Something else that happened this week, New Era, the manufacturer of the on-field caps of Major League Baseball, released City Edition caps for every Major League Baseball team, all 30 teams. 
They got a special City Edition cap released by New Era. And they're not being very well received on Twitter. And I can see why. You should go ahead and Google these if you, if you get a chance. Or look at them up on Twitter or Instagram, whatever. People are posting pictures of them everywhere. They don't look good. It looks like the standard on-field cap of a team. So they just take, for example, a Yankees hat. A Navy hat with the white and white logo on the front. They add area codes like telephone area codes of that city on the right side of the logo. On the left side, they put some kind of local landmark, and then they just fill in the rest of the cap with random things from that city. And then for teams that have won a World Series, they get a World Series patch on the right side of the hat. But some of these, I mean, none of these hats look good. Some of them look absolutely terrible, and some of them don't even make sense. The Oakland A's hat has palm trees on the left side of the logo. I don't know about you, but when I think of Oakland, California, I do not think of palm trees. So I don't know where they got that idea from. For Cincinnati Reds, they were going for the whole you know Cincinnati skyline chili angle, and they put the logo of the restaurant Chili's. I don't really know that that fits there. None of these hats look good. I know for sure that I would not wear them. If you want to wear it, go ahead. That's your choice. But I don't know who was designing these hats, what they were thinking. I think they look absolutely awful. All right, one last note to wrap up today's episode. Austin Riley, the third baseman for the Atlanta Braves, is absolutely raking over the past week. He won National League Player of the Week. In his last seven games, he hit 462 with six home runs, 11 RBIs, and put up a 1.308 slugging percentage in his last seven games before Tuesday night. He is the first Braves player in franchise history to have at least six home runs, 10 extra base hits, and 11 RBIs in a seven-game span. The first player in franchise history to do that. That's a lot of numbers in that seven-game span. Six home runs, 10 extra base hits, and 11 RBIs all in the past week. At least while the Braves' bullpen continues to blow leads and the rest of the pitching isn't that great, at least we have Ronald Acuna Jr. and Austin Riley to carry us through. Hopefully they can win one of these games against Boston this upcoming week and then put together a competitive series against the Mets this weekend, which, like I said at the beginning of the episode, the Mets, pretty much their entire roster is on the injured list, so we should be able to get at least a win or two against New York, but you never know. With this bullpen... You really never know. No lead is safe with the Braves. That's all I've got for today's episode of Foul Ball Area. Don't forget, we will be back Friday as Trey Lyle rejoins me, and we will talk about all the latest news around Major League Baseball. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Foul Ball Area podcast. Make sure to leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they come out. 